Hey everyone, my name is Cody. And my name is Elaine. And you're listening to The Reckless Pursuit. Elaine, what are we talking about today? Today we are talking about storytelling, allegories, and metaphors, and how it's all throughout the Bible. Ah yes, my favorite uh, way of communicating is through allegory. I adore comparing one thing to another. If you've listened to the show any amount of time at all, you probably already know that. You have a metaphor for basically everything, anything and everything. Life is a metaphor, really. That's my metaphor. (laughs) My metaphor of today, life is a metaphor. Everything relates to something else in some beautiful, harmonious, contraptionary scheme. I don't know. Like, anyway. uh, So what brought this on, other than me telling you you were in charge of today's topic? Because I picked the last two. (laughs) Well, <laughs> well, that basically, <laughs> yes, but no. no, I had actually read something the other day. I don't remember where it was or I would cite my resource, but I had read something the other day how the Bible is full of allegory and storytelling and how the Bible was inspired and all the authors of the Bible oftentimes wrote in storytelling and how that's how we connect with ourselves is how we connect with those around us. And that's how we connect with God. I mean, the whole New Testament, like, or at least the Gospels and the disciples walking with Jesus, like Jesus spoke in parables. Like that's basically all he said was a pet, a parable or a metaphor for something. And just the beauty of how it connects us and how if you look through ancestry and background, no matter where you come from, no matter what your particular background is, stories have been passed down and in relations to literally anything in nature and God and celestial and all of that stuff to try to make sense of life and death and living and just the beauty in that and how it just it just connects us. Yeah, I mean, if you actually look back through history, one of the biggest ways of communicating ideas is through, well, there's a few different things, but like music is a huge vessel for, as a matter of fact, let's just kind of bring it into light. If you're on TikTok or I guess carrying over into Instagram, there's been multiple news articles and like stories and like news have talked about it. Like it's a huge deal right now. But the song The Weller Man blew up on TikTok and has like the guy who actually did his rendition of it that brought it back to the light is like a like a younger, like late teenager, early. I think he's like early adulthood, like 18, 19 year old postman from Scotland. And he just records this cover of this old uh, sea shanty. It's not a sea shanty. I don't care if they want to say it's a sea shanty. It's not a sea shanty. I'm just saying disclaimer. But it is... Um, an old fishing song and it blew up and now like people are covering it. Everything's going around. News stations have covered this. You covered it too. Yeah. I was part of the trend. Um, and then like he actually has a major record deal now through like one of the biggest record. I think the the power of the internet. (laughs) Yeah. And so it blew up, but why did it blow up? And like, I'm actually going to do a video series on why the Weller man blew up. And the biggest thing to me is actually this very, topic so when you brought it to my light you're like is that something you can talk on i was like oh yeah uh yeah i can um basically it blew up because it's telling a story right it it involves two major aspects really a couple more than that but like two major aspects off the top of my head of of um, i guess like of people of what we love and the first thing is humans love a good story uh why do we love a good story because we love being able to relate to something unrelatable you know, most of us can't. We humanize things. Right. We can't relate to 
uh, a fishing vessel hunting whales, you know, like we can't relate to that on most levels, but we can relate to the idea of, of working our job and having to complete the task before coming home, waiting on, uh, sub, you know, substance. This, this, the song is about a vessel. The Wellerman is a, is a ship and it's, it's a supply ship. It's bringing in goods to the fishermen and they're on the hunt, almost like this Moby Dick style. Like they're on the hunt after this whale that they're going to like hunt, I guess. And which, you know, not throwing out ethics here. Like we're don't, I'm not trying to get into like the ethics of whaling, but <laughs> like there's this whole mythology. The whole song goes through this whole mythology of waiting for the supply vessel to come in because they're running low on supplies while they're still trying to reel in this beast of a, of a, of a, well, mammal, I guess, but you know, like of a fish supposedly. And, and that's relatable to us on a human level. Like we understand the idea of trying to seek after something that seems as if we'll never be able to pull it ashore and how we we need that that hand reached out. Like we understand these things. Uh, you start looking into a lot of older folk music hymns are a great example of this to tie it back to our spiritual journey and get away from the whaling uh, aspect Whale of this. <laughs> yes, uh, hymns are a beautiful representation of of those those uh those core elements like you know think of amazing grace and it is quite literally just this i'm down in the dumps but god's grace is bigger kind of mentality and like i said a lot of us have you know kind of pulled away from a lot of this theology and stuff but there's a point in life when that's really needed coming to the old rugged cross like the idea of i've been wore out but i can still pull up to this thing that trades you know my sorrow for a crown uh, uh you know so many of these different our God is an awesome God, even like that's not a hymn. It's a newer. Is it newer? I don't remember how old that song is. All I know is like they redid it in the 90s and made it weird. But uh, yeah, I mean, like all these hymns carry a promise, right? Jesus's words conveyed a message to convey a promise. And humans need that to tie it back to why the Wellerman blew up. It conveys not only a good story. We love a good story, a good engaging like we we love fiction, right? We love to be able to imagine these worlds and the idea of adventure and the idea of excursion and getting out of our our small little bubble. Like we love the idea of that, but it allows us to do that safely because we have a preservation tactic. Most people that go on those epic adventures and stuff are putting themselves in some kind of harm's way, and that's not something most of us want to do. It's why we love things like Lord of the Rings. It's why we love... All the fantasy behind it. Right. Like, I'm this simple... I mean, you think of a hobbit or going to the hobbit. You think of, like, Bilbo. He's like, I am this simple hobbit who loves tea and comfort and biscuits. I relate. And, you know, order. And I go to bed at a certain time and I rise at a certain time. And other than the town gossip from, like, this distant land, we don't get much of what's going on here. We're safe. And then goes on the comfortable. greatest adventure. Right. And it's like, actually, no, we're going to have all these people bust up in here invite you and at the last minute he throws on his tunic and runs out to the out the door to join them forgetting his handkerchiefs which is a big deal in the book uh to him but he has like this this unction of like i have to go and we read that because we have the similar unction right you think of of christ and the idea of of turning over this old way of thinking these songs convey messages to relay information in a way that most of the time we would never experience life ourselves to be able to understand the message it's relaying when you can take an idea like 
oh, I don't know, um, a lost coin or a lost son or a lost sheep and transmute it into a story and convey this message. And like the underlying tone is like, oh, wait, we're the we're the one for the ninety nine. You know, we're the we're the lost coin. We're the lost son. Like you understand these these ideals. You take an idea of uh, thirsting no more. And here is water everlasting. You'll never thirst again. We all know what it means to be thirsty, especially people in the Middle East where there was like, where let's let's be honest. You live in the desert. You know what it means to be thirsty. I, I know what it's like to sit out there and work outside in the yard and come in. And I'm just like, I'm about to chug a gallon of water and take a cold shower like I'm hot, like I've drenched in sweat and I have like I'm just dry. My mouth is just parched. Like, shoot, drink a cup of coffee and you'll know what that feels like <laughs> to realize like that in- induces this. What's the right word? This primal biological response of I need water. You feel your tongue dry out. You feel your throat get scratchy. Uh, you feel everything just start to shrivel up and the air gets harder to breathe. And it starts to literally cause you to shut down. Wait, I need water. And so for us, water's pretty readily available. There's never really a point in life in normal day-to-day living where we would ever be like, oh no, I'm going to die of dehydration unless you're you know, a mountaineer or <laughs> like an extreme hiker and stuff. But even then, like we have so many plans and we plan ahead for water. Like there's just rarely ever an issue where water is a problem in our society, but to talk to a woman who's bringing well water back to her village and say, you'll never have to do this again. Like, think about the connotation there. It's not even, hey, you'll never feel thirsty again. To her, this means she gets to retire. (laughs) Like, her job is to go and fetch water from this well and bring it back to her village, right? This is one of her things as a housekeeper. I don't, you know, I assume that it's more of a household thing. She goes to the well, she fetches water for her household. Imagine... If someone came to you and said, you're never going to have to do laundry again, right? Or you're never going to have to cook dinner again, or you're never in like something like a a, a time consuming task, right? And just jump in if you have anything, but a time consuming task, you know, she's having to go or better yet. Here's one for you. You never have to go grocery shopping again. That's one we can relate to because she has to walk carrying these buckets of water all the way down to the well in the middle of town or on the outskirt of town or wherever it was, drop the buckets on the hook, lower them down into the well, pull up the heavy buckets, and now carry these heavy buckets of water. I can only imagine something like a shoulder, you know, shaw that you kind of like hold these buckets on. That's the way we've kind of portrayed it in the past. She may have had a cart. Who knows like exactly how she carried them. I don't, I'm not familiar with their tactic at the time in the period, so I don't want to butcher that, but so she's carrying these buckets. It's heavy. It's cumbersome. It's annoying. And by the end of it, you're probably really wanting some of that water. And Jesus is like, hey, you'll never have to thirst. So it's not even that you don't have to worry about being thirsty. It's that not only do you have to not worry about being thirsty, you never have to go through the work that you're having to go through to fetch this anymore. That conveys a message. But then he's like, now, literally, your body still needs that. But what I'm talking about is that spiritual thirst. You never have to have that again. You never have to sit there and wonder, is there something more? What is my life? Et cetera, et cetera. Stories convey powerful 
messages. Especially whenever there's all the imagery and connecting one thing to another. Like, I mean, so often we refer God as a lion or so often we refer God as certain aspects of nature because that's what we can physically, tangibly see or feel. Even I guess you can't see wind, but um, just there's so many analogies for how we even commune with God and understand God. And I think that's what this post was talking about. I I think I saw it on Facebook. Uh, But what this post was talking about was that the Bible was written so that we can put ourselves in the Bible or that we can envision ourselves in those experiences because like you were talking about like the prodigal son or the lost son, like we all, many of us at least know what that feels like to have made mistakes and then come back home and, and owning up to those things. Or even outside of just religious texts, but even in like Greek mythology, there's so many storytelling and like imagery. I, Mm -hmm. the one that sticks out to me is the one about narcissist, I think, where he's like looking in the water and is like constantly like obsessed with like seeing himself and like there's a story behind that there's there's not just a story but there's a lesson behind that and so many of the parables in the bible are all lessons of imagine yourself in this position and through this experience and this is what happens if you went this route or this is what could happen if you went that route it's just there's just so much imagery in that so that we can connect ourselves and humanize the bible because for many of us, like we've done episodes about like, have we even heard the real voice of God? What does God sound like? Or what does God look like? And a lot of people who struggle with faith is that's one of the aspects is that they can't see God, but they can see like the physical acts of God or the thing, just like the wind analogy of like, you can't see wind, but you can see what the wind caused or things that happened, things are moving because of the wind. And that's something that you can relate to. That's something that, oh yeah, like I see those leaves, you know, moving on the on the ground. I feel the wind. And so being able to connect the analogies and the storytelling and the life lessons, it just connects us on a deeper level and helps us find a deeper meaning to things by connecting animals or aspects of nature. And it just allows us to be a part of the story, whether it's in the Bible and religious texts or Greek mythology, we can visualize ourselves in those positions because we relate to those experiences. Sure. I mean, you look at fables, right? Like the idea of animals teaching life lessons. You look, as a matter of fact, to go very like from esoteric to exoteric and back again. Uh, In my opinion, a lot of creation's intent is to fulfill a divine curiosity. Uh, so if God, and let's just, let's back this up. Let's get very um, philosophical. Let's get very neutral ground philosophy, uh, religious philosophy, like back way up here. The if God, right? If there's God, if there is a God, that means there is a higher intelligence, right? Humans are intelligent. We're probably one, or I think we're like the only species that is intelligent to the level we are, Right. So there is an intelligence in us, which means there is a curiosity that surpasses its, we, we can think in all three dimensions of time, right? That's what separates us is we, we are able to plan ahead. We are able to strategize. We are not momentary thinkers, right? Sure. And other animals can think about the past, Mm -hmm. but not animals can worry about the future. That's what separates us. We have the, if this, then that mentality, which animals I guess don't. Right. And so if you look at the idea of God, 
and this divine intelligence, if there is God, then that means God would be curious. And in order to, for a however many dimensionally faceted creature of, of cosmic proportions, and I believe in the idea of one intelligence, like we are all part of God. Uh, as a matter of fact, I believe it's biblical. Like that's why we are journeying back to Christ. That is the goal is for, you know, I can almost, I almost imbue humans as thoughts. Like, you know how you have millions of thoughts and some of them are wholesome and good and you want to hang on to and others you want to just kind of not hang on to if you can. Humans are almost kind of similar. Souls are similar. If you think of a soul as one of God's thoughts, he is filtering through. We are filtering through. This is a philosophy. I'm not telling you this is truthful or not. This is just a way to view this, by the way. This is, this, as you're like talking about this, this just kind of reminds me of the soul movie that we had yes. watched. We're all like walking teardrops. Yes. <laughs> But like you kind of think about that and it goes to you have, okay, so you have my my soul, your soul, whatever. We're all just these different thoughts of Christ and some co-labor together and some don't <laughs> or some go a different mindset. Some are part of a different thought process than others and we're all different and unique and, and we're all here experiencing things in this dimension. And what better way for God himself or itself or their self, whatever he, he, the the supreme being that lives in us, according to the Bible, has come and resided within us, uh, quite literally is out roaming the earth as us. And what better way to try to understand these aspects than to put their hands and feet on it? Like, there's just some things that aren't describable without allegory. How do you describe the power of the Holy Spirit's, like, love without feeling that gentle wind on your face? How do you describe some of these things like we have to experience? And these stories help us relate these experiences to have new experiences. And in the same way we relate these experiences, we are also experiencing these things to relate these experiences to Christ. That's why he sent his son as human, because who is God to say, I want to save you without first understanding the creation he created? And and I see creation as a way of like, he created this thing to experience this thing, but then he had to submerge himself as Christ. And I want to take this one step further in just a second. He submerged himself as Christ because he's like, wow, I created this. And ever since like the thought process started going a different way, since this idea of sin, since this idea of falling short, I don't understand. You know, it's it's kind of in my my thought line of how does God understand that which didn't exist before? You know, you think of Satan. Satan was a created being. Angels are created beings. They don't have the free will, supposedly, and some would say they do because Satan fell. But then if Satan fell, uh, then how do angels not have that free will? Because that's what separates man from angel is free will. So, like, there's this whole mix up there. It's like, well, do they or do they not? And if they don't, then Satan is just of God. And so you start looking at all this stuff of like, okay, well, this is a system playing out of God understanding and expanding and when you expand so far, you have to expand both directions. It's a, He's omnipresent, not solely present. So man kind of introduces this idea of free will and gives it, it gives, he gave man its own freedom of thought, freedom, right? Freedom of thought, separate and yet joined of it, of himself. And so I know you have something to say, give me just a second. And so then it expands out and you have this whole ideology growing, but then you also look at it as like, God's like, okay, I have to send my son, like, like using our words, I send my son onto the earth to parlay in this thing called living. And now I, being he, being it, 
am going to walk among these people and understand what it's like to be a bag of flesh experiencing this world in a three-dimensional sense. And then he took it one step further after they killed that guy that is God and said, okay, now I'm actually just going to go live in all these people and experience it firsthand everywhere so I can understand the beautiful thought that is like understand these different like because without humans without our understanding before all of this if satan was a construct if it's a mindset if it's whatever if it's just one of these areas god had to explore whatever all that is the idea of right and wrong the idea of of living so many of these ideas were just hypothesis it's almost like a sketchbook before you bring an invention to life right it's all just these different constructs, kind of like what we do now with space and time. Like we we think we understand how it's going to play out, but until we see it firsthand, we don't actually completely comprehend. Not that God doesn't comprehend, but we look at these things and go, okay, well, these are ideas. This is how the math plays out. This is how it's going to go down. But until you see it, it's not the same thing. Seeing a picture of the Northern Lights and seeing the Northern Lights can't be the same thing. Just like seeing a picture of the Grand Canyon and seeing the Grand Canyon can't be the same thing. Go ahead. Well, and within the realm of God becoming his son, Jesus, and coming to the earth and communing with us, um, Jesus spoke in stories and parables and personification, all this stuff, because that is human's native language, is storytelling. No matter what background or ancestry or where you come from, we all have storytelling we all relate things to different things in in our comprehension and how we see it and some people may use more nature analogies other people may use more space analogies whatever you feel truly and deeply connected with and aligned with regardless of all of that jesus came down to earth to commune with us in our native language of storytelling and that's mostly how he spoke in the bible at least but go ahead i was gonna say why is that our native language though that's why i keep going back to is Mm -hmm. why is allegory our native language how is it that we can convey message through story that's unrelated you know how is it that i can invoke an emotion based on a picture or a sound how is that and some would call it magic i think that allegory is not necessarily the language i think allegory is the language of humans but I think it's the language of humans because it's God's way of trying to understand. How do I say this? Okay, so spirituality. When you think of spiritual, you don't necessarily think of touch, feel, like these senses, right? And so when you're trying to put words on how you feel in your like when you're praying, or you try to put words on those moments and when you just felt God, right? We say we felt God, but you can't feel without a physical body. The spirit cannot feel without tangible nerves to touch reality. It's only a construct. And so I believe that God manifested human. We are created for the sole purpose of allegory, for understanding. We are parable incarnate. Well, and I think God knew that when he created Yeah, that's humanity. our purpose. Yeah. We are, I mean, okay, the Bible says we're the hands and feet of Christ, right? Without us, we could not touch the thought of Christ. When you think of God as a thought, when you think of God as a presence, we have thoughts in our head all the time. We understand what these things are. When you dream, it seems real, but it's not. You can tell the difference. And so when you wake 
and you go, if I dream of eating cheesecake, or better yet, here's one I think we can all relate to. You dream that you went to the bathroom. Okay, have you ever had that dream? And you just like feel like you've gone to the bathroom in your dream and you wake up only to realize like you still got to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And you're like, or, or you dream, and that's also another problem that leads into, but we, I think we've all had that dream. You wake up because you drank a lot of water or you're, you're sleeping. And in your dream, you're like, I need to go to the bathroom. And you go to the bathroom in your dream. And you're like, wow, that didn't relieve myself at all. So you go to the bathroom again in your dream. You're like, wow, that didn't work at all. And finally, you wake up and realize like, oh, hey, I just got to go pee. Like <laughs> IRL. <laughs> and so you go to the bathroom, go back to bed. And then you're better. And it's like, wow, that part of the dream doesn't happen anymore. Uh, you know, you can you can experience these ideas and you can play it out to a T. I'm not saying God didn't know what he was doing. I'm not saying God didn't know. He knew mathematically. He knew on a constructual level, he had the whole blueprint laid out, but in order to build the building, he had to have nerves and flesh. He had to have tangible, he had to have hands and feet. Well, and God knew that he was hard to comprehend without creation. Right. And so without the body of Christ, if you think about that, we are God's body. I mean, I was going to say the Bible even says like we're a temple, like our bodies are temples. Well, yeah, we are the hands and feet. We are the body. We are the temple. There's all these analogies to a vessel, right? There's all these analogies to being a tangible thing that we are growing God, right? God is a living being growing through our, our experiences for better or worse. You know, he's experiencing it all. Whenever it says Christ took it all, he took all of it on the cross that doesn't just talk about sin. You know, I mean, I know it's talking about he bore our sins, but like broaden that out. He bore everything. He bore the lies. He bore all of that firsthand to experience it so he could understand. And all of this goes back to you're talking about a creation that created not because it's one being up there with a narcissistic attitude, but God is one. He's multifaceted. I could think of like, Almost like if you're in a crowded room having conversations, but could hear and understand everyone at the same time. You know, I think of Genesis when it says, we created, they created. I I still believe it's God. And I'm not even going to sit here and say it's the Trinity because I think God chopped himself up and placed him, but he's not, God is one being, but he's not one spirit or he's not one thing. He's all things. I was going to say, even in Genesis where it talks about like man, like mankind was made in our image. And you're always like, what is that hour? (laughs) Right. Like, why do we specify our? And people, that's what I was saying. Like people, oh, the Trinity, like that's cute and all, but that means God has multiple personalities. If you're a Trinitarian, which most uh, Protestant Christians, at least now Catholics are are Trinitarian. uh, So you think about that. How can God being just one person chop himself and be in three places? And we think of ourselves as like, oh, the the body, the soul, the spirit. But that's not necessarily true. Because if you want to take it even further, God is more than just three because the Holy Spirit is in all these people, right? And if the Holy Spirit is in all these people, that means God is more than three parts, mm-hmm. okay? So if God's already omnipresent, then he doesn't need to be in all these people, but yet he's in all these people and he's omnipresent outside of these people. God is a construct. God is a hive, you know, like take it science fiction or not science fiction, science, but made science fiction, like the hive mind mentality, like God is a swarm of bees. Here but we go not to controlling. Well, no, I'm not saying that we're the bees. Yeah. I'm saying that God's spirit is a swarm of bees. You have bees, and if one falls short, another one takes its place. Another one fills in the gap flawlessly. God is all of these things at one time, 
and they're all working together through. But if you think of a, a, a hive of bees, they're really kind of just one or like ants. Mm-hmm. They're, they don't have their own thinking process. They just know it is just they're programmed to do the thing. And then they go out and do the thing all for the greater good of themselves. When it just so happens that humanity, that one thing is all the things, all the experiences, all the emotions, all the thoughts, all of like everyone has their own life. Right. And the thing is about that is also we're all one. Mm-hmm. We <laughs> like all have we, that inner knowing. Right. We're all part of that network. And if one of them goes a fritz or whatever, there's a there, it, it's all still part of that network. And that's just. I think that that's a beautiful idea is allegory is the language of humans because it's the only way to understand these divine principles that God, this masterful being, conjured up and understands the patterns of all that he has created and can kind of tie this in to where it's like, okay, now I want to see this play out. It's like whenever you finally render a video after all the editing and watch it through, or you finally get through coding to watch the program come to life. You put all the things in place, but it's not the same. It's not, if you look at a video game, it's just a bunch of files and even breaking it down to images. A picture on a computer is just ones and zeros when you get it down. I was going to say, I kind of envision like a puzzle. Like a, we are all different puzzle pieces, like fitting in our own mm-hmm. specific areas, but we are all connected and united together for the bigger picture right like we all have our way of saying we all have our own roles we all have our different pieces we all have our different edges but it's all coming together for the like i said the bigger picture sure and where we're lacking someone else fills Mm -hmm. and what we have we feel someone else's lack yeah that's a beautiful analogy and then like to finalize mine is like you look at code like a website code and it's just a bunch of numbers and letters and makes no sense but when you hit enter or whenever you click uh, view live it comes together to make a tangible thing and that's that is us god had the code but we are the code in practice we are the tangible aspect of that and that's why when we hear these stories we hear greek mythology we read these parables from the bible we read old tales like noah and moses and all these like bible hero characters we hear our grandpa talking about you know like the war or the sea shanties (laughs) yeah the sea shanties whatever it is they convey a message because we are programmed to interpret the meaning behind the the tangible we are interpreted we are created to compute the esoteric from the exoteric or the spiritual growth from the tangible uh action we are designed to be the body of christ that was good. I like that. All right. You're welcome for the great topic. That was fun. <laughs> it's one of my favorite episodes we've done in a while. I was going to say, because right before I was like, is this a good topic? Can we have a whole episode? And you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're about to you speak in my love language. Now, I just have a question for you. How okay. many allegories did we use to explain that God is allegory? Oh, I'm sure I just dropped a lot. I don't <laughs> even know. But that's just... I don't. There's like 50 allegories on this whole episode. Yes. All the parables yes. of how to explain parables. Yes. A parable of a parable. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Anyway, we love you guys. Be brave. Be bold. Be reckless. We'll, we'll talk, talk soon. soon.